Friends, do you ever find yourself wondering, what's this life really all about? Where is all of this really headed? Is there really a purpose to the unfolding events of human history, or is it just a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? Now, most of the time, those aren't the kinds of questions that we ask on any given day. On most days, we're asking the kinds of questions like, uh, what have I got to get done at work today? Um, what am I making for supper? Who's picking the kids up from school? Those are the kinds of questions that normally occupy our mind. But I've found that when we go through the sorts of experiences that we've all been through over this past year and a half, those kinds of experiences can have a way of pressing upon us the deeper questions of life. Where is all of this headed? What does all of this mean? And that's what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about. God's purposes in the unfolding events of history. Well, before we turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning and its powerful message about God's purpose in and through human history, we need to take a step back and acknowledge that we are living in an age which could well be described as anti-historical. That is, we live in a time when our culture has become deeply suspicious of history itself as a discipline. As we've all seen in the controversy surrounding um, historical monuments over the past few years. You could say that history itself has fallen on hard times. The predominant narrative of our age was expressed well by the character Surly Teabing in that fanciful yarn, and that's what it is, a fanciful yarn and not history, the Da Vinci Code. Listen to what he said. He said, history is always written by the winners. When two cultures clash, the loser is obliterated and the winner writes the history books, books which glorify their own cause and disparage the conquering foe. Now, I mention all of this because some of you might have come here this morning with your own deep suspicions about history. And while it's certainly true that we could find examples of recorded accounts of history that were written by the winners, as it were, and which therefore should be taken with a grain of salt, the wonderful thing about the New Testament is that every book contained within it was written by an underdog. Every Christian text in the New Testament was written, as historians would say, from below. That is, by the little people of society. Long before Constantine made Christianity legal, the books of the New Testament were being written by the persecuted and the outcast, by the poor and the lowly. In fact, the text that we'll be talking about today was not recorded by an oppressor or a victor, but by a man who was subjected to beatings, imprisonment, persecution, and ultimately execution for no other reason than that this message would be handed down to you. All that's to say that if you come this morning with suspicions about history, I hope that you'll set them aside to hear an account of history written by an underdog. So let's read Paul's account of God's purposes in history, which he wrote while shackled to a soldier, having been arrested for his faith. 
Paul begins his letter with a greeting. It may sound familiar to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here's the familiar part. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then after that greeting, Paul takes us back in time to a time before time, to a time before the worlds and the planets were formed to show us how it all began. Picking up at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that is, in Christ Jesus, before the foundations of the world. There it is. That we should be holy and blameless before him. So how does human history begin? It begins with what is arguably the most profound example of hospitality that has ever been known. You see, before the foundation of the world, God was making provision for you, for me. Now, when we think about hospitality, we tend to think about, I don't know, fine china, sterling silver flatware, and those sorts of things. The word hospitality might even bring to mind the hospitality industry, you know, what happens in restaurants and hotels and so on. But if you think about it, the true heart of hospitality is the art of anticipating the needs of your guest before that guest ever arrives. You know the feeling, don't you? When you've been invited into the home of someone who has the spirit of hospitality. As soon as you step into the door, you're greeted with the smell maybe of a fine scented candle or something delicious being cooked in the oven. The floors have all been vacuumed. The house has been cleaned. Maybe there's the sound of jazz music playing gently in the background. Perhaps the table has been set with fine china and crystal, but it could just as well be that your host laid out a tray of simple hors d'oeuvres, maybe some carrots and hummus, all of which communicates to you, the guest, that the host was thinking about you, making provision for you before you ever set foot through the door. Friends, that's the true spirit of hospitality, what it's all about, making provision for your guests before they ever arrive. And that's what God was doing. Long before Earth and Mars and Jupiter and all the rest were circling around the sun, God was making provision for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Friends, God was not surprised when Adam and Eve disobeyed him. And he is not surprised whenever you or I fail him. God knew that we would fail before the foundation of the world. God knew that left to our own devices, all of us would deserve judgment and damnation. And so before history itself began, God, the greatest host of all time, was making provision for us through his plan to send his son into the world to live and die for us. That's why every Christian community, that's why our church is called to be a community of hospitality, 
a community that is making provisions to welcome newcomers in. Not long ago, a friend of mine uh, recounted to me the story of, of the first time that he and his family set foot in an Anglican church. Now, my friend had grown up in the Baptist tradition, and so all of the liturgy and, you know, the form of the service was completely foreign to him. So they knew they were getting into something, but they didn't know exactly what they were getting into. Well, they sat down in a pew, and this little older couple in front of them turned around and said, Welcome to St. So-and-So's. They said, Now, the service, it's in this red book over here, and you'll find the hymns in this red book over here. We don't know why they're both red. It seems very confusing to us. But if, if you just follow along, you'll get the hang of it, but welcome. You see, by anticipating the needs of my friend and his family before the service even started, they were welcoming them in. That old couple was reflecting the hospitality of God, which was on display before the foundation of the world. God, who at the beginning of history anticipated our desperate need for a Savior. So the first thing we learn about history is where it begins. It begins with God making provision for us sinners through the cross of his son Jesus Christ and thereby calling us to do the same we anticipate the guest we anticipate the needs of the stranger and we welcome them in so that we might reflect the glory of God as a people well then Paul takes us from the past into the present he brings us into the present to show us how God's purpose in the unfolding events of history connect with us today Picking up at verse 5. In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, as daughters, through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is God doing in the unfolding events of history? Friends, he is giving us a new identity. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then God has adopted you into his family. He's made you his son, his daughter. I never knew my maternal grandfather. He died long before my parents were married. But reading this passage made me realize that even though he died years before I was born, my grandfather gave me an identity. When I'd go visit my grandmother on the farm up in the sand hills of South Carolina, whenever we'd go uptown, people would say, Oh, I know you. You're Jay Calvin's grandson. And all kinds of doors in that little town would open up for me. And it occurred to me that that identity as Jay Calvin's grandson, it's part of what made that little town feel just as much like home as the town where I grew up. Friends, that's what God has done for you. He has given you an identity. It's the only identity worth having. Son of God, daughter of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. But we need to recognize and understand that our hearts are continually tempted to find our purpose or identity apart from that identity that God offers to us as his adopted children. To go back to the example of my grandfather... Perhaps some of you 
growing up were known as the son or the grandson of someone or the daughter or the granddaughter of someone. And if that was a positive thing, and I pray that it was, then it can be tempting to try and root your identity in your family name. But friends, that identity cannot ultimately deliver. In my case, if I were to go back to that little old town today and were to walk down the main street and to stop someone and say, I'm Jay Calvin's grandson, there's a better than even chance they'd say, who's he? You see, rooting our identity in our family name or our nationality or a political party or our job or what we own or the list goes on and on and on. Rooting our identity in these things, it's like building your house on a beach of, uh, building a house on a beach made of sand. But our identity in Christ, it's like a sure and certain foundation that you can build your life on because it cannot be taken away. Your identity in Christ, it's like a safe harbor from the storms that you will face in this life because you don't have to earn it. It was given to you as a gift of grace. But friends, we are surrounded by a culture that has lost its faith in God. A culture that has become blind to the joyful power of what it means to be adopted into God's family. And so because of that, we are surrounded by those who are desperately trying to find their identity elsewhere. Indeed, one of the great cultural currents of our day is this whole matter of gender identity. There it is. An expression. But as important as matters of gender can be, God doesn't call us to find our identity in our gender or our expression of our gender because he knows that there is no ultimate hope in that identity. No, God in his loving mercy, he invites us to root our identity in Christ as sons of God, daughters of God. In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, as daughters through Jesus Christ. Friends, your, your mission is to help those around you open their eyes to this gift. Your mission is to help people see the gift of God that he has given through the death of his son on the cross that they can be given a new identity, a blessed identity. God chose you to be the herald of this good news. So what is God doing in history? He began with the most profound act of hospitality, making provision for us through his Son, so that when we place our faith in him in this life, we can receive a new identity to live out our lives as the adopted children of God. Well, finally, having dealt with the past, having dealt with the present, Paul teaches us where all of this is heading in the future. God is guiding the events of human history toward one great purpose, which he unfolds for us in verse 7. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, here it is, for the fullness of time. And what is that plan? To unite all things in Christ, 
things in heaven and things on earth. Where is all of this headed? What is God doing through the unfolding events of human history? Friends, he is guiding us toward a holy unity. Now, I'm no social scientist. I don't know how social scientists measure these sorts of things, but you don't need a PhD to see that we live in a divided nation and a divided world. But even those who say that they have no belief in God, even the worldlings out there have some deep intuition that we were not meant for disunity, but that we were meant for relationship and connection and belonging. And indeed, God is moving history toward that moment when the deep longing in our heart for unity and peace and belonging will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It happened on one Christmas Eve, I don't know, two or three years ago. It was the midnight service, and I was distributing communion up there at the altar rail. Now, you might not appreciate this, but when you're distributing communion, you, you've really got to stay focused on the person in front of you because there's all sorts of things happening, you know, movement all around in the church. And, and if you don't stay focused, there's a good chance that instead of dropping the wafer into the hand, you drop the wafer onto the floor, and you don't want to do that. But even so, on that midnight Christmas Eve service, something, something drew my attention to these steps, the chancel steps, where I saw four women of Asian descent making their way up to the altar rail. Now, I knew immediately I'd, I'd never seen these women before. And looking at their clothing, it was obvious. You can tell, you know, they, they were not Americans. They were not from around here. And just looking at their posture and how they made their way up to the altar rail, it was clear that they felt very uncomfortable in this space. Well, they knelt at the altar rail, and as I made my way toward them, I could see that the first two women had their arms crossed across their chest. And so that was my signal to ask God's blessing for them, which I did. I blessed the first person. I asked God's blessing on the second person. And, and I don't know, perhaps I wasn't paying close enough attention, but, but I did the same thing for the third woman. And, and when I got to the fourth, she looked up to me and said, said in, a, in a very thick accent that I could hardly understand, she said, no, 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 she, she Christian, pointing to the woman next to her. And sure enough, when I looked back at the woman I had just blessed, her hands were there before me. So I stepped back in front of her, and I took a wafer off the patent. Now, I knew in that moment that I didn't speak this woman's language. I don't know anything about her culture, the foods that she eats, the customs that she observes. I don't even know what country she's from. But as she and I were situated, as we were across from each other with the body of Christ between us, I knew this much. This woman was my sister. Your sister. And it was the body of Christ given on the cross, represented in that wafer, which bound us together in God's family. Now, I can't explain it to you except to say that in that moment, a, a love, not from me, but I believe from the Holy Spirit of God, filled my heart to overflowing for this woman who was in front of me. And it was all I could do not to make a scene right up there in the front of the church with tears of joy that God had given me just a glimpse 
of the unity that he is bringing about through his son, Jesus Christ. Where is all this heading? It's heading toward God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Friends, we we have a gift to offer to the world. Even as it rejects God, we have a gift to offer a world that is hungry for the kind of unity that is only possible through Jesus Christ. There's a story told of a well-known anthropologist, Margaret Mead, who attended the 1975 Nairobi World Council of Churches. Now, she was just an observer. She wasn't there as a Christian. She was just there to observe as a social scientist. And and seeing, seeing the Christian family on display, all the cultures, all the nationalities, she is said to have exclaimed to the assembly gathered there, you people are a sociological impossibility. And she's right. This unity is only possible in Christ and Christ alone. Friends, that's the gift that we as a community have to offer to the world. A unity that transcends culture and nationality and race. A unity that made possible by the forgiveness of God for us and the forgiveness that we offer to each other. A unity that is rooted in our identity as the sons and daughters of God. A unity that was prepared for us before the foundation of the world by the gracious hospitality of God. My friends, this world is desperate for that kind of unity. A unity that is a sociological impossibility. Well, if you have come here today and have not yet given yourself over to Christ, if you've not yet received this identity that I'm talking about, that identity, that opportunity, that identity, that, that's available for you today. And I hope that you will take it. It's a gift that's yours for the asking. Give your life to Christ, and he will make you his son, his daughter. But if you have come here today having already received this identity, then I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will fill your hearts anew with a yearning and a courage to share this gift that we have with those out there. The news of God's great hospitality, the identity that we have in Christ, and the unity made possible through the gospel. May God fill us to prepare, to to take that out into the world. All of which was prepared for us before the foundations of the world. Let's pray. Father, your love is beyond our understanding. So all we can do is simply say thank you for your great hospitality to us before the world was formed. And I pray, Lord God, that if there be any here today who have not yet received that identity that is ours in Christ as your sons and daughters, I pray, Lord God, that you would open their hearts to receive it. 
And Lord, please move by your spirit in this community that we indeed might be, become a, a place of deep and abiding unity that can be a sign and symbol to this broken world which is thirsty and desperate for it. And as we go forth from this place, fill us anew with a yearning and a courage to share these gifts with the world and to draw the world to you. For we ask these things in your precious and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.